Have you ever felt that some Bible studies are too much? You know, they're too long, they're too deep, they're too serious, they're too theological, and yeah, maybe they're too boring. <laughs> well, we're going to try to remedy that with this podcast, the Where's God? Finding Him in the Small Stuff Bible Study. We're going to take a close look at Scripture. We're going to look at the cellular base of what God was saying through His Word. But we're not going to make it too much of anything. We're going to try to make it just right for everything. When John wrote his account of what happened at the tomb on resurrection morning, he very clearly states that Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early in the day and that it was still dark, actually. Now, the other gospel writers, when they talk about when the women went to the tomb, they all agree that it was on the first day of the week, as did John. Uh, But Some of the other apostles uh, who wrote these stories say that it was at dawn or that the sun was just rising. John says it's still dark. So which is true or can both be true? Uh, We're going to talk about that in this episode of Where's God? Finding Him in the Small Stuff Bible Study. We're also going to dig a little bit bit deeper into the word that John used there for dark. And uh, it's an interesting Greek word that has both a physical meaning and a spiritual meaning. meaning. And um, by using the terminology and writing that first uh, verse, uh, that first sentence in the way that he did about uh, what happened at the tomb that day, uh, John is reminding us of how it was similar to the first day of creation when God created the world. So that's what this episode is all about. So before I launch into that, I wanted to read this uh, devotional from the Chosen Devotional. Uh, because it kind of speaks to something we're going to be talking about today. And the title of this devotional is called Light Source. And it comes from John, the, the scriptural basis is John eight twelve, which says, Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And the devotional says this, For a landscape, for a landscape painting to make sense, An artist must first evaluate the light source. The sun illuminates the objects and determines the angle of the shadows. When the nature of it is misrepresented, the whole composition gets screwy. For instance, the shadows from a picket fence can't crisscross all over each other. They should be in alignment. Everything that reflects the light responds accordingly. And if if that's not happening on the canvas, well, it's not the sun that got it wrong. Needless to say, the Pharisees were by and large a bunch of hack religion painters making a total mess of the spiritual landscape. While they were casting their shadows all over the place, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Light was a reoccurring theme in the Jewish tradition and was synonymous with direction and rescue. It was the light of God's presence that led their ancestors through, through the exodus from Egypt as well as the wilderness. Light was a big deal. Jesus leveled up that claim by saying he is now the one and only light source synonymous with direction and rescue. But because they were directionless and rescue averse, the Pharisees didn't even address his bold declaration. Instead, they honed in on a technicality. Jesus told them he is the light of the world, a.k.a. God's manifest presence. 
And what were they miffed about? That he was appearing as his own witness. As in, yeah, so that's what you say, but who else is saying that? No one else is saying that you're the light of the world, so it doesn't count. You don't get to be that. It was as imbecilic as telling the sun it needs a human witness to prove that it's shining. All of the Pharisees' rhetorical nonsense was based on human understanding, which is exactly what Jesus pointed out. They had no clue with whom they were speaking or what the light of the world talk was about because they were groping around in the dark. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it, John 1.5. They didn't have to keep groping, though. They very much had a choice. They could have stopped misrepresenting with their screwy compositions and evaluated the light source. They could have humbled themselves and asked for lessons instead of stubbornly pretending they were the masters. They could have pitched their uh, messes in the trash and grabbed a new canvas. That's the beauty of it all. The option is always there to start anew. Every day, in fact. Our Lord invites us to come out of the shadows, repent, and live as children of light. And when we do, Jesus illuminates the truth. And when our lives respond accordingly, aligned with his word, we become the masterpieces that reflect his perfect brilliance. So I thought that was really insightful and good and a blessing. Yes? What is the plan for chosen? I know that they've got two seasons. They're working on a third one. They're working on a third one. They've been um, they've been uh, taping it, but they've run into issues with COVID because certain people on the cast or crew have come down with it, and so every time someone comes down with COVID, they have to shut down for five days or however long, or until they can get work around it or whatever. And so that's caused some delays to happen. And I think they've had some weather issues and so forth. So they're working on it, and they hope to have it out soon, but it's been kind of delayed because of these these issues. So, But it'll be out at some point in the near future. All the interviews I've seen from people say it's a really great season. This third season is going to be fantastic. So I can't wait until... Uh, they, I know that at one point he has the feeding of the 5,000 as part of this third season, so that should be really, really interesting. So, Okay, so let's look at uh, John 20, and we're now at um, the fourth of the four gospel accounts of what happened on resurrection morning. And uh, this is our beloved disciple, John, who is, uh, who is writing this... Um, this account, and uh, so let's look into it. Now, I don't have the Greek with me today, but if you go back to the Greek, before the word early there, in verse 1 of chapter 20, there's a but, but early in the morning. So anytime there's a but, you kind of need to go back and see what's it referring to. So um, if you want, we'll go back to, uh, say, 19 verse uh, 40. How about that? Um Taking Jesus' body, the two of them, that being Nicodemus and Joseph Arimathea, wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. But early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So uh, we know that it wasn't just Mary Magdalene, right? We know from the other accounts that there were at least uh, three other women who we know by name who went there. There was uh, Mary, the mother of James. There was Salome, who was the mother of James and John. And there was a woman by the name of Joanna. We also know from Luke's account that he's very clear in saying that there were other women too. Remember, Luke brings in, he wants us to kind of know this was a bigger thing than just four women at the tomb and 11 disciples in uh, Jerusalem 
So he very clearly says that there were other women other than these four who went with spices, and when they came back to tell the disciples in Jerusalem, there were the 11 and others. So we don't know how many there were, but we know that John is really honing in on Mary Magdalene, and even more so when we get farther along in this chapter 20, where he talks about Jesus appearing to Mary specifically. And I mentioned last week, you know, I think the reason for that is because John felt a really kind of kindred spirit to Mary Magdalene. Uh, John was known as the, the disciple of love. Uh, he says over and over again that I, this is the disciple whom Jesus loved rather than giving his own name. This, in other words, uh, the other disciples, the other people who would have read this, all John has to say is the disciple whom Jesus loved, and they're no, he's talking about himself. Uh, not that Jesus loved him more than others, but there were, John felt some kind of special love for Jesus that Jesus would obviously reciprocate. And, uh, and, and John just, that's, that's, that's just the, the, the relationship that John had with Jesus was just one of this great love that he had for Christ. And he must have seen that same kind of spirit, I'm guessing, in Mary Magdalene, that she must have had that same kind of obvious love for Christ that was just the center of her life like it was the center of John's life. And because of that, he kind of, I think, had a, a, a relationship with Mary or saw Mary in a certain way that reminded him of himself that her love for Christ was similar to his love for Christ. And so she was special to him. And so when he goes to, just as Peter was special to Mark, right? And when Mark wrote his account, he wanted to mention, and be sure to tell Peter, because that was where he was coming from. When uh, Matthew wrote, he included the only one to include what happened with the Roman guards at the tomb, because he had an interaction with Roman guards as a tax collector. So he wanted to make sure to put that in his account. And uh, where we talked about Luke, where Luke wanted, he, Luke's trying to give us a very clear and precise account, like a doctor does, of everything that happened. And so he lets us know that there were others involved. It was a bigger thing than just the four and the eleven. And now we come to John, and John is focusing on Mary Magdalene. Why? Because there was something special that he saw in Mary, and, 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 and I think he saw a lot in Mary that he saw in himself, and they had this kind of kindred spirit. So, so, so we go in here, so he says, and this is interesting too, he says, and this is what we should talk about for a minute, early on the first day of the week. Now, all four gospel accounts agree that it was on the first day of the week. All four of them are very clear on that. So we know that it's a Sunday morning. We know this is happening on Sunday morning because that was the first day of the week in the Jewish calendar. So early, in, so early on in the first day of the week, and then he says, while it is still dark. Well, that's not what the other three gospel writers say, that what it was still dark. Uh, Luke says, very early in the morning, he doesn't give us any idea for light or dark. He just says it's very early in the morning. Mark says it was just after sunrise. Matthew says it's at dawn. So when you're talking about just after sunrise and at dawn, to me that's not still dark, right? So how does John come and say it was still dark? Right? Because that sounds like, well, that's a contradiction there between John and the other three. So you can say early in the morning, Luke, very early in the morning, could have been, I mean, just after sunrise or dawn is pretty early in the morning for me. I would consider that to be very early in the morning. So those three could all kind of agree with each other, but then here comes John saying, it was still dark outside. Well, dark is a relative term. Okay? So I get up and the sun is just starting to come up. I still will probably need a flashlight. To it seems dark out. He needed that. He needed that cataract surgery, didn't he? Too bad they didn't have lasers back then. <laughs> you know what I talked about before? If you're going to say that it was, it was before sunlight, then that would mean it was the night of sunlight. You know. Because Sunday night right. starts at 
Yeah. Starts Saturday night. That's right. And then Sunday day was not part of the three days and three nights. So this would sort of confirm the fact that Sunday only has the nighttime part of it as part of that three days and three nights. Or here's another here's another theory. Uh, it could be that both are true, in that when the women got up and when they left their houses, their homes, it was still dark. But by the time they got to the tomb, the sun had started to come up. So they're they're both right. In other words. What John is saying that uh, when they uh, got up to go and left their homes, it was still dark. But then, by the but Mark and Matthew are saying their their time is starting. That when they got there and saw that the stone had been rolled away, at that point the sun was coming up. It was at dawn. So both they don't have to be exclusive, mutually exclusive of one another. They can both be right. They got up and started while it was still dark out. By the time they got there, the sun had started to come up, and it was very early in the morning, which uh, Luke tells us. Another reason we kind of we, we can kind of tell the time, believe it or not, is the word early in Greek is a, talks about a specific time. So there are different times you would use to specify spe, different words in Greek that you use to specify different times of the day. And this word that John uses for early on the first day of the week, that word early translates to a time frame of between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. So John very clearly says between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. that morning, all of those are early in the morning to me. <laughs> very early. But, and depending on, you know, well, I don't know what time the sun was rising back then, but this is very possible that it was dark, and by the time they got there, you know, the sun had come up. So they're all, they're all accurate. They just are talking about different things in different ways. But I think there was another thing that... John wanted us to see here about being still dark. So John, when he's writing this here, wants us to kind of see a parallel with God's creation in Genesis. So um, what? if you want to turn back, keep a finger in John 20, and then go back to Genesis 1. Okay, so in John 20, John says, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, okay, so it's the first day of the week, and it's still dark. So let's go to Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And on the first day of creation, what did God create? Let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good. So the parallel there is on the first day of creation, there was darkness everywhere. And the first thing that God wanted to create to counteract that darkness was that on the first day of creation, God created light, and the light was good. So let's go back to John. So what John is saying here, in essence, is, in in parallel with Genesis, is early on the first day of a new creation. Look at it that way. Early on the first day of the week, on the first day of a new creation, while it was still dark, what happened? The light came into the world. Through whom? Through Jesus Christ. We just read, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world. So when God wanted, when God created the world and it was dark on the first day of creation, he didn't create the animals first, he didn't create people, man first. The first thing he created was light. Because why? Because the darkness needed to be counteracted by the light. And so God created light to, to overcome the darkness, and the light was good. And so what John is saying is, okay, that was God's creation of the world, but now there's a new creation on the first day of this new creation, while it's still dark, like the world was dark in God's creation, and light came in, it was good. 
So Jesus has been resurrected, and Jesus comes into the world now, resurrected, risen, as the light of the world, and it is good. Yes. <laughs> and another reason that we can think that is because the word dark there in the Greek has a double meaning. It has a physical meaning, and it has a spiritual meaning. And you find this sometimes in several words in Greek. Uh, the word for salvation in Greek is sozo, and sozo has a double meaning. It means to be saved physically, but it also means to be saved with salvation. So it can be used either way. You, you, know, you take it by what it's been in context, and sometimes it can mean both. Uh, for the example of the, uh, you know, the woman who touched the hem of Jesus' uh, robe and was healed from her bleeding, you know, she was healed, and the word sozo there, she was healed physically, but she also, if you read it, you believe that she became a believer then too. Uh, even, she had faith then from then on. So that's kind of a double meaning there. So the same thing is here with this, with dark. It means dark, like physical darkness, but it also has a spiritual meaning, which is a darkness that's associated with unhappiness or ruin or death. It is figurative term for sin and the consequences of sin. So at this point, the women don't know yet that Jesus has risen, right? They don't know that he's alive. They aren't aware of the resurrection. So when they head out from their homes, while it's still dark physically out, also how must they have felt about what was going on in the world? Yes, right. So what John wants us to know is not only was it dark in the world, but it was a dark time. It was a dark moment that in these women's lives and the lives of all the believers, it was darkness. It was, they, they, it was death and ruin and unhappiness. They didn't walk out of their, uh, of their houses that day saying, oh, let's go, you know, whistle while we work, whistle while we work. You know, I think we sometimes, uh, we don't give it the, the depth of the feeling that we should because we know something good's going to happen. But when they walked out their door that morning, they didn't know something good had happened, right? So when they walked out in the world that was dark, the darkness of the world and the day matched the darkness of their souls. They had a, a death feeling in their souls and a darkness and happiness and a, a feeling of ruin because what they believed was going to happen, they now believe didn't happen. And so when they walked out, what John wants to say is it was dark, but probably not nearly as dark as the feeling these women had when they walked out of, and to go to, to, the, to the tomb. Yeah, Jim. Why did they believe? Why did they, or did they not? Why did they not? Why did they not? Yeah, going out with me. Because they didn't remember, right? We've talked about all, like in uh, last week in Luke, we said, you know, the, the angel said, don't you remember? Don't you remember I said? And they're like, uh, okay, yeah, now we remember, but like before then, no one remember. Well, we, we went very specifically in Luke and showed this is the place where Jesus said to them, I'm going to rise after three days. They and told. they were told they had no excuse. And yet when the day came, I think, you know, as, as we talked about then, what he said at the time when he said it was so out of what was happening. He was healing people. He was creating miracles. He was preaching. There were crowds all around him. He says, I'm going to die in three days and be risen. They go, oh, yeah, right. You know, and then, you know, they move on. And then the worst thing happened, the crucifixion is death. And now they're so down and so their spirits are so darkened that they, they forgot. You know, they've repressed this now. They don't remember because at the time they didn't really pay attention to it like they should have. And now... They're so depressed that they, they can't really deal with, they're not thinking that way. You know, they just can't bring themselves to think that they, they weren't able, right, that they weren't able, it says the word is hidden as we were, when we talked about that word hidden. It wasn't that God hid it from them. It wasn't that, it, that God was spiritually hiding it from them. It was hidden from them and that they just, they couldn't comprehend it. You know, like I said, you know, physics was hidden from me, not because my teacher didn't try to teach it to me, because I was too dumb to understand it, you know. So not, I guess I wish to put it that way. I was I don't have a scientific mind. <laughs> yeah. Before you leave that, yeah. you brought it up. I think it's very important to go back to creation like you 
When God created Adam and Eve, they were created with the appearance of age. They were probably 30. Right. So they, they looked like they had lived for 30 years old. Right. 30 years. Right. Light, the same way. Evolution is going to light the same, well, light going at this speed. All those planets and everything out there, those stars are millions and billions of years old. God created light with the appearance of age. Correct. So that light that he created then, 6,000... Uh, looks older than it really is. It looks like it's millions of years We were just talking before we started class today that I'm reading now that the images are coming from, back from the Hubble telescope are disproving the Big Bang Theory. And that a lot of astronomers now are looking at that and saying, oh my goodness, I believed in this all my career. I've taught it. I've hung my hat on it. This was scientifically what I thought was happening, but now I'm looking at evidence from the telescope, and what I'm seeing out there says it really couldn't have happened that way. I don't think. You know, where there was like this big explosion, and yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so is is yeah. So it's very interesting, isn't it? So all that creation is pretty incredible. Okay, so now we get in here. Okay, now let's keep keep going. So verse. Two says, well, I want to talk about just for a second, that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So I want to talk about that stone for just a minute, because all four gospel writers mention the stone being rolled away. And I think, again, this is something else that we just kind of gloss over, you know, all good, you know, God moved the stone. Uh, and uh, But there are only a few things that all four gospel writers mentioned specifically. They all four mentioned the first day of the week. They all four mentioned it was early in the day. They all four mentioned that, um, uh, you know, the women went to the tomb uh, first. Uh, but, and they all four mentioned Mary Magdalene by name. They all wanted to know that Mary was there. Uh, but one of the other things they all mentioned is the stone being rolled away. And so this must have been, there must have been a reason for that. And I'm just wondering if you have thought about it, or if you do think about it now, why do you think that was such a significant thing that all four of the gospel writers felt compelled to mention, oh, by the way, when the women got there, the stone was rolled away? I think we talked about this a few weeks ago. I think that, I, I think I thought, <laughs> uh, that they did not expect, that, I mean, they, in fact, I think sometimes it even says that they were talking about who was going to be able to be able to be able to be able to I mean, this stone must have been really impressive. He may have. He's good with those kinds of facts and figures. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's the kind of stone that, you know, when you put it in front of that entrance to that tomb, you're basically saying no, no one's getting in and no one's getting out. This stone is, this is permanent. Right. Yeah, the other thing is, as pretty well documented, is that there would have been a kind of a, what? A trench, maybe, kind of thing in front of the entrance. So when they rolled the stone, the stone wasn't just rolled on flat surface, but it had been rolled and, and been down in. It's like getting your car stuck in mud. You, you know, you, when, it's, it, when it's down in the mud and it's already half, half submerged, you, you, it's harder. As a matter of fact, we're talking about getting our grass cut. So we have a, a fence in the backyard, and the property we own is a little bit past the fence. And the people who owned the house before us made that purposely because they wanted to go behind the fence and cut the grass so it wouldn't grow up over the, the fence and be, be nice and clear. But none of our land landscapers got that until the third one. And we finally said, we want you to go back behind the fence. 
So by this time, it's already been, it was already overgrown. So he goes back there with some heavy equipment, you know, some four-wheeler thing. I don't know why he had to have that back there, but whatever. He went back there to do it this past week and go back there, and guess what? The machine got stuck in the mud. He couldn't get it out. And he called four other guys to come, and they could not push it out. Because why? It was submerged in that mud. So they had to bring another, another piece of machinery and pull it out with another machine. But that's the way this stone was. It was down in, so when it was pushed in front of the tomb, it was already somewhat submerged in that runnel or that trench, which made it even more difficult to move. And the fact is probably even several men would have had a hard time moving it. It would not have been easily moved by man or beast. It was in there for good, and it was impressive, and it was huge. One of the gospel writers puts the word mega in front of it. It was a mega stone. It was a huge, big stone and heavy. And so I think one of the reasons that the four gospel writers, talk, all four talk about it, is because this was clearly a miracle. This was the hand of God, just like God closed the door of the ark because no one else could have done it. God moved this stone because no one else could have done it but him and, and make it easy for the women to get in there. So one, I think the reason it's mentioned by all four writers is that it was a miracle and it was impressive and there's no other explanation for it except that God did it. And um, I think too, maybe thinking as a moral of the story is that just like the women, sometimes we're going to have impressive, big, uh, massive obstacles in our way. And we're going to be asking the question that the women asked, who is going to move the stone away? And sometimes we say, who's going to remove this problem, this obstacle from my life that I'm experiencing right now? And just like God was the one who moved the impressive, can't-be-moved stone, but did move it, so God can move in your life and move the big stone, God-sized stone out of your life too. In other words, I think Max Lucado wrote a book called God Still Moves Stones. And he can move the stone in your life that you're facing too. And that's a real encouragement to, to all believers. So, yeah, Cheryl? I was thinking, I was trying real hard to keep my mouth shut. <laughs> um, um, that's a good question. Um, and the women knew it was going to be impossible yeah. And to right. But they still had the faith. Yes. To take all those spices. Right. Head that direction. Yes. And, yeah. Don't ask me to explain you women. I don't know why you did it. I don't know why they did it. No, you know they just they just had to do it. Their love for Christ compelled them. And. You know, sometimes, you know, sometimes, sometimes your faith and your relationship with God, with Christ, compels you to do things that don't make sense. Okay. Uh, you know, it says, um, "Help me to trust you with all of my heart, and not lean on my own understanding." And that's basically what it means is. In your own understanding, you say, well, that, we can't get there anyway. Why bother? But when you trust in him with all of your heart, you say, we'll figure it out. It'll, some, something, you know, God will work it out for us. And, and I remember one time when that passage came to me, I was in, I was working hard. I was doing a lot of work and I was sitting, I was traveling a lot. And I was in Pittsburgh airport. And I had so much to do and so much on my mind, and I was so stressed out and anxious and just behind on everything. And all of a sudden, that verse came to my mind. You know, trust in me with all of your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. My own understanding said, work, 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 get this done, get this done. But when that message, when that verse came to me, and it just came to me out of nowhere, I think it was you know, God talking to me. And I said, okay, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to rest. I'm just going to relax. I'm just going to take a breather, and I'm just going to trust in the Lord. And uh, I don't know what happened after that was so many years ago, but nothing bad happened. <laughs> you know, I'm sure good things happened. And so, but one time, now I do remember this very clearly. 
Uh, and you're going to say, now, Greg, come on. You're going to say, you're going to say coincidence. That's what you're going to say. The world is going to say coincidence, and I'm going to say God, okay? So, and that's what you have to do sometimes when you do, do things that don't make sense because of your relationship with Jesus, because you just say, you can say coincidence, I'm saying God. So, okay. So, nothing's going right at work for me. No, I'm not getting any sales. Nothing, no deliveries are happening. I mean, just, I'm going through this dry spell where nothing, not, nothing is going right, nothing is going good, nothing is happening that I want to happen. All of a sudden, God says to me, buy your wife flowers. I'm like, what? Now, this was so many years ago, Dan doesn't remember it, okay? So that tells you how long ago it was, all right? But God said to me, and I said, what? No, you know, that's what you say. My own human understanding is that, I'm letting you know my own understanding, that doesn't make any sense. What, what does that have to do with my work, my job? I couldn't get away from it. I couldn't get away from that thought. And so, okay, fine, God. So I call up the florist, sent her some flowers. She got some flowers. She calls me. You sent me flowers. I, was, I said, yeah. I took credit for it. I didn't say God told me. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know what? I don't know, but at, from that moment on, things started coming and flowing. I started getting orders, and things went back to good and to normal. Now, I don't know. God knew Jan needed flowers, I guess. Or maybe he was just saying, are you going to be obedient to me and do something that doesn't make any sense because of our relationship that we have? Well, show me. <laughs> it always makes sense to the recipient, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, more men, more men to hear that need to hear that message, right? Yeah, Greg, Greg. I just wanted to make a comment back there about uh, uh, How many of you might have been present when Lazarus was raised? They saw a stone move away. I assume all of them. Okay, and that yeah. might have had some impact on their Yeah, because I'm sure it took a lot of people to move the stone out of well, Lazarus' tombs. Wait, it's not something that was easily done. Right. You know, it took an effort to make it happen. So, Jeff. So along these same lines, uh, as, as a testimony, back in 2011, in my work environment. A tornado hit one of our manufacturing plants in uh, southern Virginia. Wow. We had a lot of equipment there that was, that was tore out the, it was a multi million dollar claim. And I thought I was fighting with everybody to get through this thing. And I mean, I was stressed out. I mean, I was just trying to work through it and, and deal with insurance companies and this and the other. Finally, I just said, Lord, I can't do it. Amen. And I surrendered. I, I, I remember the moment. I remember I said, Lord, I just, I've got to let you in. And it was resolved. It was resolved beautifully. Uh-huh. It took a little bit of time, but I'm telling you, he was involved. He took control. Amen. You know what I mean? I couldn't do it. I do indeed. You know? We all get to that point. I am strong. And I've done the same thing myself so many times, just said, God, I can't handle this. I can't change it. I can't undo it. I can't redo it. And it's and I and I and I'm out. I, I'm out. So I'm just leaving it in your hands and you take care of it. And you know what though? When you do that, don't you feel a sense of relief? You feel so much lighter because now you just have to trust God to do it for you, and just whatever happens is His will. That's one thing, again, I'm in sales, and I'm only in commission sales. So if I don't sell something, I don't get paid. If I don't sell something, we don't have food on the table. And so that keeps you on your knees. And what I've had to learn is when I get an order, I always pray, thank you, God, for giving me that order. Thank you, Lord, for giving me that, that income. 
But what I've had to learn, and it's hard, but I try to do it now every time I can, every time I remember to do it, is when I don't get an order, to thank him for that too. Or thank you for not giving me that order. I don't know why you didn't give it to me, but I trust you to know what's best for me and to give me what I need when I need it. So if you didn't give me that order, there was a reason, and I'm okay with it. Thank you for not giving it to me. And uh, so, you know, if you believe that God's going to take care of you with your needs, then you have to believe when you get the good, it's for a reason, and when you get the bad, it's for a reason, and thank him for both uh, is really what we have to do and we're supposed to do, and just trust him to take care of it, you know, put it in his hands and leave it in his hands, so. God never created us and expected us to do it. Amen. He expected us, I mean, he created us, and he wants to. He expects to do it. This we talked about last week, too. Our, Our whole conversation last week was, why don't people believe? And one of the reasons was, that we said, uh, you know, they don't want to make changes in their lives. They don't. They're afraid that God's going to make them give up something that they don't want to give up. And what they don't realize is what we get is so much better than what we give up. And as Stan pointed out, I think, or one, somebody said that what we give up, we give up willingly. Once we come to Him and, self, and, and we're saved and we commit our lives to Him, whatever we give up, we're glad to give up. We don't want that anymore if we're really changed as we should be. So uh, I love that. So, so um, should I get into this now? We're kind of running late, but I'll, or we're running out. But I'll go ahead and get, this, get started on this. So let's go ahead to the next verse then. Because if I only get one verse done today, you guys are going to say, what is this guy doing? Ah, so verse 2. So Mary came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, who was John, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So now remember, there's, there's some other things that happened before this. And we talked about that way back when we started this, about how all four of the Gospels do actually fit together. So what, what has... Hmm? Yeah. I'm reading this. I'm reading ahead. Dan, don't read ahead! He kind of has it a different order. Right. Yeah. Well, well, that's why I'm addressing that right now. So I'm, a, I'm asking the question you haven't answered yet. So, so right. So some other things happen that John doesn't go into here because why? Because he is focusing on Mary Magdalene. He wants her story to come out. But what we know from the other gospel writers is what happened basically is the four women and whoever else goes to the tomb and they get there and the stones rolled away. And Luke tells us they went into the the four women went into the tomb, and they were wondering what had happened. They saw it was empty. They saw the burial cloth there, and the idea was they were perplexed. They couldn't figure out what was going on, what had happened. And what we know now, if we put the four things together, is at that moment when she was confused, before the angel came and gave his message, that Mary must have left the tomb while the other three women stayed behind in the tomb. So she goes in, they see he's not there. She's perplexed. She can't get her arms around. She can't understand it. So she runs immediately back to Jerusalem to tell the, uh, the disciples, including Peter and John, while the other three women tarry behind. And while they tarry behind, that's when the angel appears to them. And the angel says to them, he is risen, he is alive, and he'll go before you to see in Galilee. Go back and tell my disciples. Well, Mary didn't hear that. Mary didn't hear that. Mary didn't hear the, didn't see the angel, didn't hear the message that Jesus is alive. So she goes back, running back to see Peter and John, thinking, knowing that the tomb is empty, but thinking that the only reason it's empty is because someone moved the stone and someone took his body. And that's the report she takes back to Peter and to John. And so that's the first message they get. Well, then it goes on to say in uh, verse 3, after she tells him that, so Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Again, there is a time period there that John isn't giving us that something else occurred that we know from the other accounts. And that is, they didn't get up and immediately run to the tomb. They, whatever time period it took, they were still there when the other women came back from the tomb with the story that, hey, we saw an angel, and guess what he said? Jesus is alive, he's risen, like he said he was, he's going to meet you guys in Galilee. So here are Peter and John now, and they've got two stories. 
They have Mary Magdalene who came back and said, we don't know what happened. And then we have the three women coming back and telling them, telling them, we do know what happened. So they've got Mary saying, we don't know what happened. They must have taken his body. And then they have the three women coming back and saying, we do know what happened. He's risen. He's alive. The, the angel, we saw an angel. And Peter and John are saying, like, what? So who do we believe? Well, let's go see. That ourselves. And so they got up and went running to the tomb. And if you remember a few weeks ago, we were asking the question, why did Peter go to the tomb? We talked we talk about it in Luke, because he talks about Peter going. Why did Peter run to the tomb? We had, we had different things we talked about. Well, one of the reasons that we didn't talk about, because we hadn't talk, looked in John yet, is that maybe they were like, well, we have one person telling us he's body been stolen, and these other women come and saying that he's risen and resurrected, and we just have to go, we just have to go check it out ourselves and find out which is true. And so what I think is so funny now, so go on to the next, um, so Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, uh, and uh, but the other disciple outran Peter, he's talking about himself. So they both leave Jerusalem to go run to the tomb. They leave at the same time, but John gets there first because either he was a faster runner or probably more likely he was younger than Peter. John was probably one of the youngest of the disciples at that time. He lived to be an old age, and so he was, at this point, he was probably younger. So he ran faster, so he gets there first. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He, bent, he John, bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. So why don't you think John went in? You ever thought about that for a minute? Why did John just, the, the stone is rolled away. He gets there first. He's the only one there as far as we know. The women, those women have already gone back to Jerusalem. They've already talked to Simon and Peter, and they've already talked to John saying, we saw an angel. And so he gets there and he doesn't run in, but he just bends over and looks at you know why I think he didn't run in? He's afraid the angel might still be there. He was afraid the angel might still be there because they said, we saw an angel. And he, so he goes running to me. He says, there was an angel in there. I think I'll just make sure. If, before I go running in there, I'm going to see if that angel's still in there or not. But then Peter, what's he do? Let's look at that. Peter, then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. So Peter says, I don't care about an angel, but this is Peter, right? I'm going to go into the tomb. I'm going to run right in there. But here's my question about that. Did Peter have to shove John out of the way to get in there? You ever thought about that? So how big was this entrance, right? Was it like a two-person entrance or was it like a single-person door entrance? Because a single-person door entrance, John is there peeking in and Peter got there and rushed in. I, I see Peter like, John, get out of my way. I need to get in there and see what's going on. Possibly. They could have basically both fit there. But I wouldn't put it past Peter shoving John out of his way. I'm just saying that right now. So, Okay, so we're not going to go on anymore today, but let me just finish this, because this is going to be something. We're going to, I'm going to give you a, 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 an advanced notice of a teaser for next week. It says, he saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself separate, from the linen. And finally, the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw, what did he see? He saw the same things, right? They saw the burial cloth and he believed. So, this is something that's very important in John. And John is giving a first hand report, right? Because he's the guy who did this and he's the guy who's writing about it. John did not see the angel, John did not see Jesus. John saw the stone rolled away. John saw the empty tomb, which everyone so far has been there, seen that. But John makes a big deal about seeing what? The linens. The linens and the burial cloth. So there's something very important about the linens and the burial cloth. Because it says once he saw those, right? Once he saw, he didn't, he didn't see the angel and believe. He didn't see Jesus and believe. He saw the burial linens and the cloth, and that, that is what convinced So what possibly could it have been about the linens and the cloth that that was enough for John to have faith in what happened there? 
So that's what we're going to talk about next week. So. My, my point is, is oh, did I not answer your question? I'm sorry. Uh, on, in this, if you go down to verse uh, 10, 11, 12. Yeah, that's Mary. <laughs> right. Now, it says she didn't see the angels, but Mary stood, and then she saw the angel. Right. And they went back to their home. Right, she didn't see the angel until then. Right. She didn't see the angel in the tomb. She left already before the angel came. That's why when she went back to Jerusalem to see Peter and John, she goes, they must have moved the body. Because the other women saw the angel, but obviously Mary didn't see the angel. She must have run out before he... Right, but, but when Mary, Mary's going to go back to the tomb. So where is Mary right now? We've left Mary in Jerusalem. She's gone to the tomb. She didn't see uh, the angel. She ran back before the angel appeared. And now she's back in Jerusalem telling uh, Peter and John. Peter and John have run back, but Mary is still hanging out somewhere between Jerusalem. and the, She hasn't made it back to the tomb yet. Maybe she's, not, maybe she's on her way now because she's a woman. She's not running quite as fast as the men because she has all those clothes on. And I'm not making a disparaging remark about the speed of women running. I'm just saying she was handicapped by her clothing. But, but, but what happens when she sees, when she sees Jesus, it's, it's after Peter and John even go home. So then she sees the angel at that point, so, which is later. Mary Magdalene. This is Mary Magdalene. I know, but the Mary, but the Mary, Mary weeping outside. That's Mary Magdalene. Yeah. No, that's Mary Magdalene. Yeah, she's come back to the tomb. She's run back. In other words, she's following John and Peter. She's following them back to the tomb herself, and she gets there after they have already been there. No, no, they appeared to the other women, but they didn't appear to Mary Magdalene. There's two separate appearances, one to the other women and then one to Mary, separately. So. That concludes this episode of Where's God? Finding Him in the Small Stuff Bible Study. I pray that you've learned something new about the Lord today, and He's given you some new insight into who He is and how much He loves you. Remember, the eternal God is our refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. May in that refuge today and those everlasting arms, you find the provision that you need, the protection that you need, the power that you need, and through those, the peace that you need. Remember, he said, my peace I give you. Peace be with you. Shalom.